Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Last weekend, we began uh, a brand new series that we're calling Telling the Story. Uh, it's an Easter series based on the conviction that the gospel uh, is not primarily a set of facts that you either believe or not, uh, but rather the story of God intersecting human history for the purpose of salvation. And so this story uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals truths to us about ourselves, about the world, and about God. Uh, and these truths are truths that transcend empirical evidence. Um, but that doesn't make them any less true. Uh, and so the gospel story then is an invitation to live our lives according to the truth that it reveals. And so this story... Uh, or for this Easter season then, we are telling the story. Uh, and we're using the book of Acts as uh, a framework by which to tell the story. We're not necessarily walking through the book of Acts, but rather looking at different highlights, jumping back and forth at different parts of the story. And so last week we were in uh, Acts chapter 10 with Peter's message that he gives at Cornelius' house. Uh, today I want to look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, where Peter uh, addresses the crowd. So you can follow along with me, but we'll also, it'll also be up on the screen. Uh, I want to read, uh, just for a little bit of context, uh, uh, starting with verse 14, just the first part of verse 14, and then skip down to verse 22 uh, in Acts chapter 2. So uh, the word of the Lord says this, uh, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And skipping down then to verse 22, he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Now this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. For you have made known to me the paths of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this very day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would one be placed, uh, let's see, had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. For God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And so now, exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David, not, uh, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet, he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Let's say a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, this story that uh, intersects our lives. 
And we find God that can very consistently, this ancient text, these stories from so long ago, uh, are not only applicable to our lives, but so relevant to our lives. And so God, I pray that today, as we come into this worship gathering with all of the joys and celebration of Easter and spring and new life, God, we recognize that we also bring our burdens that we carry. And we lay them at your feet, God, and we pray that through this story, you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, lift us up. God, may we find in this story truths uh, that would intersect our heart and our life today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your Bible, it most likely has the heading just before this passage of Scripture, Peter addresses the crowd. To give you a little bit of context of where Peter is uh, speaking this or under what circumstances, uh, this is the part of the gospel story that takes place at what's called Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is part of the, the part of the biblical story where the Spirit of God is poured out and made available to all people. In other words, it is Pentecost that signifies to us a movement of the availability of the presence of God from the temple, that in the Old Testament, God, if you wanted to know where God was or where God lived, he lived in the temple. God had an address. Uh, but then as we were looking at uh, the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, uh, the, the Gospel writer wants us to understand that uh, this Jesus, uh, the, the, one, the Word of God made flesh, uh, is now dwelling among us. He is tabernacling among us. And so the, this presence of God moves from the temple to the Messiah. But at Pentecost, the presence of God is then let loose and made available for all people that God might dwell in us. And so Pentecost signifies for us a movement of the presence of God from the temple to the Messiah to us, that God would choose to make his dwelling now in the people who would call on him by faith. Now, we're talking about Pentecost during Eastertide because in this sermon, Peter talks about resurrection. Uh, in, in fact, in telling the gospel story, you can't tell the story without quickly talking about resurrection. It is, in fact, Easter that is uh, the center of the Christian calendar. It is the truths of Easter that is the center of the Christian life, that without resurrection, folks uh, and people of God, we have nothing. <laughs> uh, but with resurrection, we have everything. Uh, and, and so we, we concentrate on this today, and in telling the story of the gospel uh, at Pentecost, when the Spirit of God has been poured out among all people, Peter very quickly moves to the truths of resurrection and new life. But it's also interesting because in this sermon, Peter quotes Psalm 16. Uh, Korah, that's the passage of scripture that Korah read just before uh, the song, I Love You, Lord. Uh, but if we're going to understand what Peter is trying to do in this sermon... Uh, we need to understand the psalm and why he would be referencing the psalm. And so I want to read also uh, this morning to you the entirety of Psalm 16. Uh, and I want you to hear the movement of what the psalmist is doing uh, and how this psalm progresses. And so uh, let's, and I don't, it won't be up on the screen, just hear it this morning. Psalm 16 says this, and he quotes uh, parts of this during his, his Pentecost Day message. But the psalm says this. 
Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. And those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. For Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, for with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken." Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. For you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy of your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the psalm that Peter quotes in his Pentecost Day message. And I want you to see the progression of this. Uh, Verse 1 through 8 are all about praising God for his goodness. And the psalmist says things like, in you I take refuge. He says, you are my God and apart from you I have no good thing. He says, you alone are my portion and my cup and, and you make my lot secure. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord for with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. These are all just pouring out tremendous praise to the God who is present and a God who is with us. And then verse 9 begins with therefore. And anytime you see therefore in scripture, it's a, it's a hinge that's connecting what is about to come, what's to come to what has just passed. And so he says, in other words, in light of all of this and all in light of all the goodness of God, he proclaims then that his, even his body is secure and not abandoned in death. Now I want you to notice that he doesn't say that his body won't die, but rather he says that in death, His body is not abandoned. In other words, the psalmist is declaring that the goodness and the faithfulness of God extends even unto death, even into death, and even to his body, so that his body will not be abandoned in death and it will not decay. And then the culmination of all of this is when he says, a path of life will be laid out. And so... In light of all the goodness and faithfulness of God, I can rest secure that God is with me even unto death, even into death, even to the point where he is with my body, that my body will not decay, for a path of life will be laid out for me. Now these words are written by King David. Uh, But the question that Peter is wrestling with in his message is, are these words about King David? Uh, You see, they're written by King David, but are they really about King David? And Peter uh, wants to give the answer, uh, no, these words are not primarily about King David. You know King David, the the kid who beat Goliath, who wrote Psalm 23, and then who cheated on his wife with Bathsheba. That's David. They're written by that David. Uh, But they're not necessarily about King David. And that's what Peter wants to point out. 
because David died and his body decayed just like everyone else's. And again, if we're going to understand the full context of this, we need to understand that David uh, wasn't just a king, but David became a, a symbol uh, for what was to come for Israel. And of course, we know, we know what it's like for a single person to become a symbol for something much larger than, uh, than themselves. Uh, just like it's, it's, a, it's the beginning of baseball season, so I know this won't connect with all of you, but uh, work with me here. Uh, just, like Babe, just like the Babe Ruth era Yankees became a symbol of a great baseball team, right? Uh, I thought maybe I'd get a couple amens from my baseball fans, but I didn't. That's okay. Uh, or just like Gandhi became a, a symbol of peace, right? Gandhi became a symbol for something far larger than just himself or his life. Or Martin Luther King became a symbol of civil rights. Or Elvis Presley or the Beatles become symbols of, of rock and roll. You see, you see, David was described as a king after God's own heart. And so he became a symbol of what a, a good leader will be for the people of Israel. In other words, prophets began to foretell that the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the king over Israel, would come out of the line of David. David wasn't just a, a king who lived and died, but became this symbol of what was to come for the nation of Israel. And so Peter, knowing that history and addressing the Israelites, comes to them and, and he applies this psalm that was written by King David, but he applies it to Christ, the son of David, and Israel's true Messiah. And he says this, it was, it was Christ's body that was laid down, but was protected so that he would go through death and then come out the other side. It was, it was Christ's body who would, who would experience the, uh, all the, the, beating de- the, the beatings and then eventually die, but then go through death right to the other side. And I think that's really, really important for us. In fact, in thinking about Easter and new life and resurrection, this, this strikes me. That Christ went through death. And I want to drive that point home this morning. That Jesus doesn't dodge death. He doesn't move to the side of death. But rather he goes right through death to the other side. In fact, resurrection can only be found on the other side of death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays to the Father, and he says, you know, if there is any other way to accomplish what you are purposing to accomplish, then let's do it the other way. Let's go about this a little bit differently. Jesus, with, with sweat and with tears, knowing what lies before him, prays to his Father, is there any way that we can go around the struggle. And the answer comes back, no. In order to get to resurrection, we have to go through death. I think that most often this is how it is in our lives. That we have to go through the difficulty. We have to go through the struggle. We have to go through the pain 
in order to get to the life on the other side. And I know that anytime we're in the midst of it, right, in the middle of it, or we know what we're going to be facing, a lot of times our prayer is just as Jesus prayed. Can we go around this? Is there anything that we can do to avoid this? Can we accomplish this any other way, what you are setting out to accomplish? And a lot of times what the promise of Jesus is not that he will protect us from the pain and the struggle, but rather that he will walk us through the pain and the struggle. And I would want to say to you on the second Sunday of Easter that the beauty and the power of resurrection is that there is, there is hope for something that is on the other side. The plant must walk through the death of winter if it is going to enjoy the new life of spring. Resurrection hope says that what is right in front of me isn't all that there is, but rather I have a hope for something on the other side. I want to say that again. Resurrection, resurrection hope says that what is right in front of me isn't all that there is but rather there is something waiting for me on the other side. But first, I got to go through this. I don't know where you're at this Easter. I don't know where you're at this spring. And while all the the joy of pastel colors are exploding all around you, (laughs) you might look at all all this talk of new life and, and you might just say, Man, I don't resonate with that. Because you're facing a challenge or a difficulty or a struggle. I I believe maybe what the Lord wants to say to us today is that even though I may not feel like my soul connects with images of new life and flowers and pastel colors and talk of resurrection, I believe that we can hold on to it because the very meaning of this season for the Christian calendar is that when darkness is all that I see right in front of me and hopelessness is all that I can grasp through my own perception, the hope of Easter is that through that there's a new life waiting for me on the other side. Amen? Now, I want to talk more about that, but before I do, I feel like there's something I want to address in this passage. It happens early on in the passage, uh, where he says, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. Uh, We accept on the authority of the word of God that the the death of Jesus Christ was, in fact, the the plan of the Father all along. Uh, This is why when Jesus prays in the garden, uh, is there any other way to accomplish what you are purposing to accomplish? And the answer comes back, no, there must be a death in order to reach resurrection. But I think there's a common misunderstanding of what that really means that I want to address here this morning. 
The line, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, is sometimes understood to mean God killed Jesus. Uh, However, this is not an acceptable way of understanding the meaning of the cross and and God's intention of the cross. And the reason I say that is because if God killed Jesus, then we have pitted one member of the Trinity, of the Godhead, against the other. And this cannot be. The Trinity of God lives in perfect unity with one another, so we cannot, in any of our theological framework, pit one member of the Trinity against another. So if we say it was God's will and intention that Jesus would die, then we say yes and amen. But if we say God killed Jesus, then we say hold on a minute. (laughs) And so what do we mean? Well, I think instead we, we need to see God's intention as this, that God sent the anointed Messiah into the world at just the right time in order to bring salvation and deal with the wickedness of humankind. So what was it that was God's intention? It was God's intention by love that he would send his son into the world at just the right time as evil was, was reaching its height uh, in order to deal with the wickedness of humankind and defeat it in principle. And so evil was reaching its height. Systems of violence were so embedded in Roman culture that they would crucify a truly innocent man. Uh, I want you to put yourself in that kind of of culture. A, A culture so embedded that victory comes through violent means. Uh, That they would kill a truly innocent man who had done nothing wrong. Uh, This is, what we look at in the cross is we see systems of sin at work that killed Jesus. And in doing so, God then uses that to simultaneously reveal the evil of humankind and then his love for humankind. That it is through the evil systems that would kill Jesus that God would in fact win salvation for the very people uh, that were crucifying his son. And that's different than saying God was so mad that he had to kill Jesus. But rather, it's, it's a way of saying and, and affirming John 3.16, which if you grew up in the church, you know this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he gave his only son, that whoever would trust in him would have eternal life and not perish. And so at a time when systems of violence were so embedded into Roman culture that they would crucify a truly innocent man, God sends his son to take on the wickedness and the sin of humankind and then to defeat it in principle. See, the good news of Easter is that evil in principle is already defeated because of the cross and resurrection. Well, then you might say, well, why is, all there, why is there all this evil in the world? Because there's, uh, we, still have, we still have the freedom to operate according to the will of God or not. As people, God doesn't co-opt us in any way. He doesn't push our hand. He won't force us to love, love him. So rather we have free will to either go uh, and walk in his ways or not. And the presence of evil comes from all the folks believing the lies of the, of the enemy. But in principle, the enemy has already been, been defeated through the cross and resurrection. Does that make sense? Now, some, some little, a little theology for you on this, uh, this second Sunday of Easter. 
And so a good beginning point for understanding the cross and resurrection is this. Jesus took on the full force of human wickedness and then nullified its power by dying and being raised. That's a good beginning point for understanding what in the world is going on with the cross and resurrection. What this ultimately means then is that resurrection deals an evil, a blow from which it cannot recover. Uh, Resurrection deals evil, a blow from which it cannot recover. Uh, Evil is defeated in principle. And we await the day when evil will be defeated uh, and all things consummated and all things made new. What this means then is that resurrection is the hinge on which history turns. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, everything has changed. What I mean by that is that post-resurrection, we live in a world where death no longer has the final word. And I want that just to sink in. Post-resurrection, we live in a world where death no longer has the final word. Now, whether that is physical bodily death due to disease or age or accident, resurrection says that there is a reality on the other side for which I can hope. And so we can face death, we can look at death in the eye as a people of God, and we can be scared but not be afraid. We can be uncertain but maintain hope. That in the face of bodily death due to disease or accident or age or whatever the cause, the people of God have hope of resurrection because Jesus Christ first went through death because on the other side of death is the new life of, of resurrection. And so post-Easter, post post-resurrection, we live in a world where death no longer has the final word, and that is good news. Whether that be a physical bodily death or whether that be, a de- be, whether that be death as a metaphor. And maybe you know what I'm talking about when I talk about metaphorical death. Like maybe that relationship died and now I feel dead. Or that dream died and I died with it. Or your career died and now you feel dead. You see, the new hope of Easter and the truth of Easter is that in an Easter world, death does not have the final say over those things. But rather, you can make it through the heartbreak. You can make it through the uncertainty. You can walk through the pain. You can make it through the disappointment. You see, the the message that I want to share with you today is that resurrection is the good news of going through. Christ went through death into resurrection. And so there is good news and there is hope in the possibility of going through those things that tend to get us down. And if evil had the final say, then we would never be able to walk through those. If evil had its way, then we would, we would, live, we would sink under the weight of the disappointment. 
We would die under the despair of disease. But evil, death, dying, does not have the final word. And friends, I want us to hear that because that's the good news of Easter. Look again at verse 31. He was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, but rather he went through the realm of the dead. In fact, written into our creeds is that Christ died and he descended to the dead. In other words, central to the, to the Christian belief is that Jesus didn't somehow avoid the realm of the dead, but rather went through the realm of the dead. He went through death. In other words, Christ went through the realm of dead, but was not left there. He had to go through it. What this means is this. Resurrection is not a miracle that tricks death by avoiding it. Resurrection is a miracle of life after death. And that's a really, really important key for us to understand as we think about Easter and resurrection. Resurrection is not a miracle that tricks death by avoiding it. But rather, resurrection is a miracle of life on the other side of death. And here's what this means. Let me bring this home in just a couple minutes. What this means is this. Christian hope is not simple optimism. Sometimes when we talk about having hope as Christians, what we're really talking about is be more optimistic. Uh, deny the, the, the pain that you're going through. Uh, be happy. <laughs> right? I've heard a lot of indictments against the church. The church is a place where you got to go just to act happy. <laughs> it's a great place to be happy. <laughs> it's a great place to have joy but it's also a great place to be real and to have a community of people with whom you can be real. And so I want to say to you that Christian hope is not simple optimism, but rather Christian hope is actually being able to look darkness in the face and know that there is light on the other side. See, Christian hope is the ability to embrace whatever darkness we see, embrace whatever pain we feel, embrace the emotions that, that we're walking through, and then say, you know what, I am walk Christ is with me through all of this, and there is hope on the other side. That's Christian hope. Christian hope is not, close your eyes and pretend the darkness and pain isn't there. If that is what you are offered as Christian hope, that is a false version of that. That is a very stripped down version of, of Christian hope. Christian hope is the hope that Christ walked straight into death and came out the other side with resurrection life. And so my encouragement to you today, my invitation to you today is to live with an orientation toward resurrection. To orient our heart, to orient our mind, to orient our perspective and our mindset toward resurrection rather than toward evil and, and the lies that the enemy tries to tell. 
Because here's what happens. If we live with our lives oriented toward resurrection, we can look at pain and disappointment and discouragement and struggle and disease or whatever it is. We can look it in the eye, embrace it, and maintain hope that there is hope for me on the other side of it. If I just live with a heart oriented toward evil and lies and the lies of the enemy in the face of disappointment and uh, struggle and pain and loss, I will become cynical. And so we have available to us hope and joy regardless of what we face in life. Or the other option is Anger and cynicism. My prayer is that you will live with an orientation toward resurrection. This is incredibly hard to do. This is like a daily journey of trying to orient our heart toward resurrection. Because I think the natural response is just to live with cynicism. Because it's easy to be cynical. But the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is that by faith in Jesus Christ, and whose spirit has been poured out among all people at Pentecost, And by daily trusting in him and giving ourselves over to him, we might live our lives with an orientation toward resurrection. That we can maintain hope, we can maintain joy, we can hold on to grace, regardless of what we might be facing. Which means then, in the times of joy and celebration and everything is going great in life and all the things are just falling into place, we can look to the, to the heavens and say, oh God, thank you for this new resurrection life. That I am experiencing the newness that, that you have promised in me and for me. But then, when the next season comes, and it's a season of loss and disappointment and struggle or pain or disease or whatever. We can hold on to hope and we can hold on to joy because resurrection has changed everything. Amen? May we be a people oriented toward resurrection because new life is real. Hope is available to us.